Hello and welcome to Nurturing Resilience. I'm Leisha Nelson. This is a podcast for cultivating connection, belonging, and safety through stories of triumph and post-traumatic growth, sprinkled with a little bit of magic. I am so glad you have joined me. Let's dive into today's podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is a little different than what I've done in the past. If you've listened to my past episodes, you know that I typically interview someone and they tell us a story. But today, we aren't necessarily going to go into a story. I decided to interview a friend of mine, April Davis. And we'll get into what April's passion project is in a moment. But I really chose to have April on here because she talks about women's sexuality, sensuality, and health. And I feel like it's a topic that isn't discussed enough. And she really comes at it from a wellness and health approach. And she has a couple interesting perspectives that I felt were really important to share because most of my audience are women. So if you don't know April... She is a compelling speaker, creative consultant, visual arts, and wordsmith. April Davis has been featured in magazines, on podcasts, and on stage sharing her wisdom, humor, and knowledge of the creator as the creator of the Vagina Blog and the Vagina Blog podcast. If you guys are not following her over at the Vagina Blog on Instagram, go check her out. It's really amazing what she's doing. Her passion and drive have created an entire community around female body health as she empowers women and vagina owners to love themselves fully while focusing on bringing to light the taboo topics that we just don't talk about enough, like sex, periods, self-love, and body positivity. Between attending births as a doula, a photographer, and a birth assistant to a midwife, April has seen a lot of vaginas. Educating the world about vaginas is pretty much a dream come true for her, and so she made it a full-time gig. So obviously, if you're triggered by the word vagina, you probably don't want to listen to today's podcast. And if you are triggered by it, I really hope that if you do decide to listen, you can start to see these things in a different light, because it really is April's passion project to bring awareness to these things around self-love and body positivity. So lean back, enjoy this quick episode, and uh, I hope I hope you laugh as much as I did. It was definitely a fun time interviewing April. Anytime I'm with her, I'm just like totally laughing, having a good time. And I think that's so important when we dive into sometimes difficult topics, and it makes us realize like these topics don't have to be difficult. They can be fun. So no more talking. Here's April. So I'll start out by re-saying that I'm a big fan of your work and I met you this summer and just immediately fell in love with what you're doing and what you're putting out there. And um, yeah, so what what is it that you do? What I really want to know is how was the vagina blog birthed? What was that process and what is that story? 
<laughs> it's a long, crazy one. <laughs> love it. I love it. Um, I it's funny. I really do feel like this is a calling for me. I think this is who I always was and am. Um, I studied emergency medicine my first round of college, um, along with uh, visual technology. So I had a very interesting initial education. <laughs> now, what is visual technology? It's anything. It's photography. It's graphic design. It's videography. It's it's so funny because now you look at it and go like, of course you were gonna do Instagram things later in life, mm-hmm. also medical. Like mm-hmm. at the time, it made no sense, but I really used my education, so it's been kind of great. Um, but I I did that and a couple other things after I had my second child. I discovered that I really was passionate about birth. I loved how my first birth had went, but I wanted to do things differently with my second one. So I read everything my library library had on the topic of birth. I was reading midwifery textbooks. I was reading the, everything by Ina May Gaskin. It, really anything I can get my hands on. The business of being born had just come out. Um, and I, I was into it. And so I had a really beautiful labor and delivery with my second one. And I decided at that point that I really wanted to seek out becoming a doula. So I kind of just started putting it out there and telling people like, I really want to be a doula. And I met someone, we just bought a house and met some of my neighborhood. And she's like, we're training doulas. You should come. So I was like, what? Did not know I was walking into a group job interview with a nurse midwife who was looking for a new assistant and wanted someone with a medical background who really wanted to pursue also learning kind of how to be a doula. So it was so funny. I met her. She liked me. I went on a birth with her and her other assistant. It went really well. Her other assistant went out of town and suddenly I had a job. So I had three births the first weekend that I was like on call with her by myself. And I was like, my husband was like, what are, what's, what's going on? What do you, what do you mean you got a job? And I was like, I don't think I knew I was getting a job. I have a job, I guess now. And we just like, our life just kind of flipped upside down and I just ran with it and just fell in love. So I worked uh, for five years with her and after working with her for a little while, started to take on my own clients as a doula. And then also um, I worked as a photographer. So I started doing more birth photography and this gave me such a unique perspective into the birth world because I was seeing the way that my nurse midwife I was working for did things. I was seeing how other midwives and doctors were doing things both uh, in and out of the hospital. And then as I was photographing a lot of the births, I was seeing how birth went when doctors didn't necessarily know they were being observed. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. When there's a doula, they know that you know things about stuff. So they kind of act a certain way. When you're there as a birth photographer, they just assume you're a fly on the wall taking pictures. So they kind of act a little less guarded. Yeah, And it was really disturbing to see the difference in how people were treated when I was there as a doula and I was there as a birth photographer. So that kind of lit a fire of concern in terms of what was going on in the world of women's health. Mm -hmm. Uh, The nurse midwife I worked for also worked for Planned Parenthood. So I was able to see what was going on in the world of birth control, GYN care and everything else. So I got this very unique insight into women's health in general and female body health. Um, after I had my third, I had to retire from birth work for family reasons and other stuff. And I was just stuck with all of this knowledge and this passion. And I did not know what to do with it. And so 
the most logical thing I could come up with was starting my own blog and Instagram. And so that's the vagina blog was born. And this was four and a half years ago now, which is so crazy. And I just ran with it. I'd been a female body, like health consultant for a couple of their mommy blogs. And I mommy blogged myself a little bit. So it just made sense to niche down and just really talk about the things because no one else was doing it, you know? Yeah. So some, I mean, a lot of my listeners might not know who you are. When you say talk about the things, what are the things? (laughs) I'm the vagina blog. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about vaginas. (laughs) I talk about vaginas. (laughs) And everything related, right? (laughs) Everything related. Not just birth. Really everything. Not just, oh yeah. I mean, to be honest, I kind of wish I had set it up where I talked about birth more because it's definitely something I'm passionate about. And I feel like I talk about it like so little. But it definitely includes birth, it includes sex, it includes periods, it includes postpartum, it includes good maternity care before and after and postpartum. And also, like, I really try to talk a lot about mental health and also body positivity and body love and all of these things that we're working through as people with vaginas. Yeah. And what would you say is like, what's your number one concern? Like, what's the number one problem? that like you're like if there's a mission or there's an issue that you're out to kind of educate or kind of change the world on Mm. what's that thing like what are you what are you hoping to shift my mission is fourfold and this will go on my tombstone (laughs) (laughs) awesome tampons are bad for you don't use them (laughs) tampons are so bad for you okay we're gonna come back to each one of these oh yeah don't fake orgasms. Okay. <laughs> Love your body. It's the only place you have to live. And then really my fourth, and it is so important to me, is we've got to fix the maternal mortality rate. We are killing more women every single year in a country where it's the most expensive to deliver a baby. Like, that's crazy. That's embarrassing. It's I, the racial disparities with it, too. I can't it's yeah so yeah yeah that's my mission oh (laughs) so much there okay let's start with no tampons I stopped using tampons um fairly new actually it's kind of embarrassing to say as far as being a a womb worker and being into like in the womb world and working with women um it was really only maybe two years ago it was Mm -hmm. COVID when I didn't have to leave my house really anymore right you're like I'll try some stuff we can get into some things let's do some weird stuff yeah (laughs) yeah and now I totally do weird things I just told my husband that I water the plants with my period blood and he was like Mm -hmm. you do what what why do you think we're in a symbiotic relationship the plants make me oxygen and I make them food where's the problem Totally. And the plants in my office are like green and thriving and lush. Yep. Yeah. So people do not know that plants are not vegan. They are actually carnivores. There's like a lot of the things in (laughs) in fertilizers are blood meal, bone meal. Like it has all of those necessary nutrients for plants and so watering them with menstrual fluid watered down is so good for them it's a natural fertilizer so good for them 
And recently I am no longer vegan turned meat eater again and was listening to this great uh, like podcast or it's called the confessions. I don't know if you know what the confessions is. Um, It's confessions of vegan women turned non-vegetarian and, and why, like what it is and what it's doing for their body. And one of the women says, my pussy is a carnivore. That's the top. That's the title of her talk. Awesome. And it's, it's that same, like, we are actually more similar to plants. Like plants are carnivores. They thrive off of blood. Like we are carnivores. I might be offending a lot of people. We thrive off of blood. Yeah. And especially for pregnancy and postpartum, like we need this extra nutrition and so much. There's a handful of those vitamins that, you know, your body just absorbs so nicely from meat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this fine line. It's like, I want to honor the earth and honor the animals and do it sacredly. Uh And I want to honor my cycle. I want to honor my blood. Uh For my body, that means I need to be eating blood and meat. And my pussy is a carnivore. (laughs) Well, it's something that helped me feel better. I, my friend, uh, her family has a ranch nearby where I live. And so I've actually gone out and driven cattle with her just out on the range. Mm-hmm. And it was like such a neat experience because I was looking around at all these very happy cows who have been out on the range grazing, living their very best life, you know, and we brought them all in because all the calves were born and things. And I just was looking around like, I don't feel bad about eating these cows. Yeah. You know, and there is, there's such a difference. They've had a very, very good life. And yes, it costs more to buy that type of meat. So we maybe just don't eat as much meat. But I also am so like, I know what I'm eating and I'm really grateful for that, you know, because it is beautiful. Yeah. It's part of that cycle of life. Uh And I think that's one of the thing is women and our cycle and to use tampons or not tampons and blood is like really getting in tune to cycles. Uh We are (laughs) as women we're cyclical Mm -hmm. and so honoring cycles everywhere on every level and part of that is what is the cycle of animals what is the cycle of that in itself is a cycle as well Mm -hmm. and I just find that when I do live my life more according to my cycle which you do talk a lot about on your Instagram and blog but Mm -hmm. how much it's changed my own energy levels oh yeah 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 people don't they don't realize this they don't realize the shifts that happen when you get away from tampons for me my periods shortened significantly um they became so much less painful and what what is happening a tampon it's like a plug Mm -hmm. like you're putting a scratchy dry (laughs) like cottony plug bleached bleached and we're wondering why our cramps are terrible and our periods are longer as soon as I started free bleeding and using period underwear or even using a disc or a cup 
I was like, my periods are like days shorter. I'm in so much less pain. What is this magic? Because I stumbled into discs as a 19 year old. It was like the, the box, like way up high on the shelf that like you couldn't quite grab at Walmart. And we were like, what are those? This is my roommate. So yeah. of course we had to buy them and try them. Yeah. Then we we're all horrified because we we're like, how are these, gi- these giant things? We're putting these inside. We can't feel them. Where are they going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the craziest like I and even then I still was like no no this is not what normal people do normal people use tampons I've got to go back so I kind of swung back and forth between them for years because I just couldn't quite like this is making me even weirder (laughs) and I I love how you're like where is this thing going because I don't know but we didn't get sex ed in high school we did but it sure didn't cover menstrual stuff did not mm-hmm. cover anything to do with anything. And what's even crazier, cups have existed for longer than tampons. So every mm-hmm. time someone's like, oh, those cups, those new cups, I'm like, no, cups actually were first. Tampons were second. Tampons are disposable and invented by a man. So they have a great marketing budget. Yep. Cups are reusable for like 10 years and invented by a woman darn it wow I will say that my cycle also shortened I always thought that I had a seven day cycle and the last two days were kind of um a very light but still enough that I would need a tampon and then when I switched to mostly the underwear Mm -hmm. or free bleeding I went to a five-day period yeah no questions day five my cycle's done yeah I went from five to three same thing I was like I don't think this is possible how what like how am I done bleeding already that's so quick and telling you there is something to just allowing yourself to bleed yeah yeah it's really it's it's empowering and it does connect me more to my cycle when I'm paying attention to these pieces because if I'm going to free bleed or I definitely want to be more at home. I'm not going out as much during that time. And so it f- kind of forces me to be home and slow down and pay attention to my body and rest and just like mm-hmm. chill out. <laughs> Which is what we need to be doing when we're menstruating. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think the messaging that we received as, as kids was very like ignore, suppress, plug up like ignore you know anything you can do I can do bleeding and all of the commercials that we saw I have a presentation and it's it's hilarious it's all girls in white leotards doing things like gymnastics and playing tennis and no one in their right mind is like you know what I want to do right now I want to put on a completely white outfit and I want to go play tennis as hard as I can like that that is not that's not what we have to be doing And I think we were told that that is what we have to be doing. And I would just argue like, this is a time to rest because when I stopped fighting all the time and saying, I can't rest, I have to keep going. I have to prove that I can keep up and that I don't need, and that I'm better than this. Like I'm somehow superior to my body. I fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and leaned into that masculine energy for so many years. And the more I've allowed myself to rest during my luteal phase, rest when I'm menstruating, listen to my body. I'm so much happier 
through my cycle. And that follicular phase energy hits me. I get way more done than I would have had I pushed through because I was just tired and I felt like I was forcing everything all the time. The more I live cyclically, I feel like I'm letting go. I feel like I'm accepting. I feel like I'm allowing my body to do everything that it wants to do. And I just feel so much better. It's so much better. It's so much better. Everyone out there listening, it's so much better. I just finished my cycle. Um, I'm in my follicular stage. I'm just, and what's happening is like, boom, boom, boom. I'm working, I'm going, I'm doing, I'm, I'm creative. Like yes. creative life force energy that is now able to flow through my body is night and day difference. And it feels good. It feels good to work hard. It feels good to lift hard. It feels good to go hard. It feels good to pull like all the maybe later nights, earlier mornings. Like that's, those are my long days is follicular phase. And I get so much done and it is delicious instead of miserable and forced. I just, I love it. I love it too. And I love honestly that like stopping using tampons is really what got me there. Mm-hmm really it's really interesting though because so much of the design of the tampon is that you don't see what's going on you're unaware of where you're at you're unaware of the only reason you know your your flow is heavier lighter is how many tampons you're burning through but even then you're not maybe not even examining them and it's just different people are like oh gross I don't want to get blood on my hands and I'm like it's just blood it's just like slobber or any other tears, any other bodily fluid. It's just another one. It's not scary. It's not any more gross than anything else. And you can immediately wash your hands or better yet. I tell you all the time, I'm like, if you're worried about changing cups or discs, do it in the shower. Mm-hmm. Just pop them out, rinse them, put them right back in. There's no mess then, you know, and nothing to worry about that way. That's a really beautiful point. I really, I like that. Um, okay. I feel like we could go down this forever, but let's Long go to time. the second. <laughs> let's go to your second pillar, um, which was something like, don't fake, don't orgasms. fake orgasms. Don't fake orgasms. Yeah. That one's pretty simple. This is really straightforward. Uh, the layers of it though are you should own your own sexuality mm-hmm. and your pleasure and your experience it's really has a lot to do with you. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women that I talked to, they really felt like, well, my parents owned my sexuality or my ecclesiastical leader owned my sexuality. And then I got married and now my husband owns my sexuality and it is his responsibility to initiate sex, make sure everyone has an orgasm. And if he doesn't take care of those things, what am I to do? Mm-hmm. And I just, there's so many problems in that that type of thinking like your sexuality is your own you should understand how your body works you should understand what works for you what doesn't work for you you should be comfortable explaining that to a partner if you're not maybe you need to reconsider having sex with them Mm, (laughs) good point Mm -hmm. (laughs) because these these are and especially like if you're in a marriage and it's been a really long time and you haven't had these discussions, it's just time. It's time to have these discussions. Don't fake orgasms. You're reinforcing behavior that is not working and you are lying to your partner in the most intimate way you can lie to someone. It is brutal. Yeah. 
Oh, wild. Yeah. I, I mean, that's something that I never have done or did. And so, yeah, I, and there's this part that's like, well, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I can imagine for a lot of women, especially a lot of women who are really stressed, a lot of women who have dysregulated nervous systems, maybe sexual trauma that, yeah. and that is something that I work with a lot of women with is that there isn't a lot of connection to the body. Therefore, there's not going to be a sense of pleasure. Yep. Therefore, there's not going to be an orgasm, mm-hmm. which again, like this is something I dive deeper more and it really depends on the person and what's going on as to why they're not experiencing pleasure. But I'm just curious if you, like, what's your take on that, on, on nervous system regulation, pleasure, orgasms? What do you tell people that kind of ask you those questions? Like, well, what do I do if I don't orgasm? Um, I think there's some follow-up with, with questions like, what, what's going on? Because for some people it is, I've never really pursued it or I don't really understand my own anatomy. I just expected the person I'm with to. Um, And I I always tell them, I'm like, A, masturbation does not necessarily have to be what you have to do. Because some people it's like, well, I'm not comfortable with masturbation and I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, what can you do with your partner? What can you at least maybe get a mirror and have a better understanding of your own anatomy so that you kind of know where things are and where to direct someone. And they always tell you, I'm like, loop up, get really familiar with all your parts and pieces, see what's feeling good, chase what feels good and lean into that. It may or may not lead to orgasm, but it's definitely going to lead to an understanding of what and where feels good. And when you incorporate trauma, for me, I always say like, this might be a time to start looking into a therapist if you're dealing with, with a trauma response, you know, but for those that aren't, it might just be that like, they haven't gone down this road. Yeah. And again, did you grow up in Utah? Mm, I grew up in Idaho. Okay. (laughs) Same, same. Yeah. I mean, just so much conditioning, religious conditioning here in the Western, these Western states. Oh, it's, it's the entire United States of America. We are not unique. I thought for sure that like, we're really conservative here. We have, no, this is across the board because our roots are pretty Puritan. That's (laughs) true. We don't have, we don't have comprehensive sex ed like globally within the U S right. And so because of that and because of like we have a very heavy-handed patriarchal uh purity-ish type culture mm-hmm. it's built in so it's not even we're just we're not special at all here this is a problem everywhere and and it's interesting people phrase it differently but it's the same thing that I hear over and over again I'm just like I mean I've even had people like I didn't I just really thought that sex was just something that you did for a man so okay, let's that that right now. <laughs> oh, well, no. <laughs> so it's, it, it's interesting. I think everyone's starting in a different spot. Yeah. And it goes back to that, like that Puritan pure, it also goes back to the blood. Like you don't touch it. Blood is dirty. There's this whole, like women yep. are pure. Except for when we're not. (laughs) (laughs) 
darn it. (laughs) Yeah, so much conditioning around that. So much conditioning. So, okay. Number two, don't fake your orgasms. Number three, love your body. Yeah, my last podcast, it was really interesting. Two podcasts ago, I really dove into like some weight stuff. I didn't interview anyone. It was just me kind of sharing a little bit of a story. And man, that one comes and goes for me. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm so in love with my body and so appreciative and just like so amazed at what I can do and what she does that I'm a woman and what like women can do. And other times I'm like mad and frustrated and like questioning, like I have an injury. So I'm like, why, why are you falling apart? Like what's Mm -hmm. wrong with you? Yep. (laughs) And just this, it is also a cycle for me. I mean, that same thing. I think oftentimes we believe that we arrive at like self-love and acceptance. And I, I think it's a continual journey that you're on your entire life, especially in a female body, because we kind of go on a little bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. We have kids and, you know, especially go through all the childbearing and everything else. And you really, you have this beautiful opportunity, I think, to fall in love with yourself every single season through it. But I think that's also a decision you kind of have to make. And it's hard because I have the same thing where I'm like very content. And then all of a sudden, extremely frustrated and same. I have an old injury. It does not help. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, I, I think it's a commitment that you just have to continue to renew and make to yourself over and over and over again, as you go through every season to stand by yourself and love yourself through it. And just come at yourself with the same love and caring and understanding that you would any one of your best friends, you know? Yeah. Have you read the book, uh, burnout by Emily Nagowski and her sister? So good. So good. Their podcast. Have you listened to their podcast? No. It's so good. And Brene Brown had them on unlocking us just Mm -hmm. that episode alone because they talk about burnout and it with Brene Brown, like it's so, it's so good. I love, mm-hmm, yep. I love it. And like, I remember when I was reading the section, she calls the bikini industry complex and reading about that in her book and recognizing that women have burnout because of the stress we put on ourselves to look a certain way in our body. Mm-hmm. That really hit home to me of like, One, I just had this overwhelming sadness. And then I had the overwhelming compassion Uh of like, wow, so many women are constantly working through this. Yeah. Into peace with it. And we have burnout because of it. (laughs) Oh, but it's, I just, someone was like, it is not your job to shrink, like to spend your entire life trying to shrink. Like if you really think about that being your life's pursuit is to lose weight and pay bills, Mm. that is not an existence that I'm interested in. So, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the other, like, so I'm on this rabbit hole recently finding out I'm anemic, which is why I started eating meat and all da, 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 huge Mm -hmm. rabbit hole. And, Mm -hmm. um, and finding out that there's new research that talks about 
it might not even be our nutrition that's messing with our bodies. It could be our grandmothers. Yeah. And so I, and one of the signs of that is that your teeth have a lot of cavities and that they like crumble and fall out. And I grew up with a ton of cavities. I brushed my teeth all the time. I ate really healthy. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. My tooth crumbled when I was in one of my teeth crumbled when I was in graduate school, like literally just like crumbled. And I heard that the other day and I started thinking about my grandma mm. who was a model oh. and constantly was depleting herself and trying a certain way. And then leading to the research that it lowers all the omega-3s we need for our brains, especially as we go into menopause. Mm-hmm. And then she had Alzheimer's, which is could be from that malnutrition. Mm-hmm. And now my teeth are falling <laughs> because of what that she was, ate. <laughs> that's what is so frustrating to me is I, I don't know if we always understand the weight of our actions you know, when we do these things to our bodies, because I even going through, so I I had an eating disorder in high school, did ballet obsessively, um, had everything that goes along with that, got injured, and they, it's, the ramifications have been endless from treating my body that way. They think that my injury has to do with the eating disorder and that's chronic and with me for the rest of my life. They've also found that people who have hyperemesis gravidarum, which I do while I'm pregnant, which is horrible, uh, they're finding a correlation between that and eating disorders. They're not sure why, but a lot of people that have HG also had eating disorders in their high school teenage years. And so I just feel like I've had endless torture from making terrible decisions about hating my body. And it it does worry me what that means for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping if I deal with the trauma right here and now in my own body that I won't pass it on, right? Yeah, (laughs) I think that's true. And doing like a lot, a lot, a lot of deep processing work and trauma work, I've healed some stuff about my relationship to my grandma, to my mom. And I watch my mom change. Yeah. And she's not even the one doing the the work necessarily. Yeah. So there's that. No, I think, but don't you think, don't you feel like there's energy in that though? Because I do. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And that's the whole basis of um, what's called like family constellation work is that you work in the relational field and you work in the family field. And so for me, it's like, if, if I am those times that I can love my body, heal my body, come to that place of self-love, that's healing my family too. Mm-hmm. It is. And your next generations, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I love that one. I feel like we could go so much deeper on that, but we'll move on to your last one, which I didn't write down. I'll have you say it again. I do know it's around the maternal health crisis that we have here in America, which, uh, (laughs) this Uh can be a whole podcast in and of itself, really. Yep. I, I can't, I can't, I just, cause like, (sighs) (laughs) it was bad. It was already bad Mm -hmm. and it's getting worse. We're getting mm. worse every year because like yeah. when I was at the height of working in birth, this was already a concern. And I've been out of the birth world for five years now. 
Like, that's crazy to me that when I started 10 years ago, I was like, man, this is a real problem. We should be more worried about this. This is serious. It's gotten worse. Like, how? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you said in the very beginning was that the doctors would act different when you showed up as a photographer. In like, what, in what ways, what's an example of that, if you can remember any? Um, one that was really interesting. I got there as a doula and she'd been there for a little while. She had preeclampsia. So they were going through with an induction. Um, and I got there and was there for a little while and they'd been doing, you know, this, this and that. And the, one of the nurses like left the room and she turned to me and she's like, I'm so glad you're here. And I was like, why? She's like, they're talking to us so much more and asking us things that they weren't before. And they're explaining everything when they do it now. Wow. Same nurse, same doctor, same everything. Nothing had changed. Just that I was there and that they now knew that she had a doula there. Like, that was so disturbing. I went to one as a photographer. It was so funny. I was actually covering for another photographer. They couldn't go. So I went for them. And I get there and her labor stalled out. It's not progressing. It's not going anywhere. And so they're just, they just keep cranking up her Pitosa and just cranking it, cranking it. And she's just miserable trying to like get things going. They're threatening her with a C-section. And I was like, have you thought about like getting out your like breast pump? Like we could try some nipple stimulation, get some natural oxytocin going. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I know I'm here as your photographer. But... <laughs> start making out with your husband and pinching your nipples just kind of maybe get into it for a second and we're all gonna leave and uh maybe if you want to go to the breast pump you know do all this this and it was so funny her labor took like a hard left turn and got rolling as soon as we gave them like a good half an hour together (laughs) and she was able to deliver vaginally and everything was fine and I was like why why is this never a suggestion from the nursing staff Mm mm-hmm they have breast pumps there on the floor. Like why is no one being like, you know what? We can just put you on a pump for a minute, probably get things rolling with your body's own hormones. Right. Because then also at the hospital, if they, if it doesn't go progress quick enough, then they'll go into a C-section, which in her case, I mean, who knows, but it very easily could have turned into a c-section if that wouldn't have started happening Uh, i mean you know how it goes too though you turn up that pitocin and it goes up and up and up mom goes into distress baby goes into distress and immediately everyone and then suddenly aren't we so glad that the doctor rescued that poor baby yeah and like (laughs) so we're increasing all the drugs and we're wondering why our babies are having increased heart rates Hmm, weird. And now we need to have an emer- a quote unquote emergency C-section uh-huh. because of the heart rate. And they saved the baby and the mother. And if they would have been doing it anywhere else, everyone would have died. So yeah. love that version of that story. And on top of it, then we end up with serious infection because we just had major surgery mm-hmm. and we're not getting a ton of sleep afterwards and we're not able to take very good care of ourselves. Like this is what's so frustrating to me because we really tried to make this a stigma thing and a competition thing. I could care less how people deliver. I care that they consented. I care that they received good care. I care that they were in charge and empowered. 
that's what I care about. Like mm-hmm. people try to be like, well, you're just anti-C-section. No, I don't think anyone should have to have major surgery before taking care of a newborn. Mm-hmm. Call me a just a terrible person <laughs> thinking that, but like that is my problem with C-sections. It has nothing to do with getting a trophy <laughs> because right. you know you had a baby come out of your vagina instead of out of your stomach. Like I hate this narrative that we've come up with, this competition, this stigma. I'm like, it's not about that. It is about we should not be seeing C-section rates at this high. We are seeing maternal uh, mortality rates where they're at because we're seeing the C-section rates so high, because we're seeing the induction rates so high. Yeah. Well, and I see the aftermath. So I work on newborns, right? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. my piece of coming in, working on pregnancy. And then, but I get all the distressed babies post-labor. Post C section. And I will tell you from a cranial sacral perspective, a lot of babies that um, do have a C section, when they come into my office, their nervous systems are dysregulated. Oh, yeah. Their skull bones are hard as a rock. They don't have that like fluid, soft, gushy skull bone Mm -hmm. feeling that newborns have. Mm-hmm. And I don't want moms to freak out that are listening to this because my like doing cranial sacral for so long, that's what I tune into. That's what my hands are, that's what they do is they feel bones all day. <laughs> so yeah. it's like I'm attuned to there to, are differences. There's but there's physiological processes that you go through when you're born. Mm-hmm. And so if we skip those, you don't go through those. And I like I'm a C-section baby, and my husband's a C-section baby, right? Like we're fine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's maybe not the physiological method that um human babies typically like biologically come into the world via you know so there's right. maybe going to be some some disturbances <laughs> yeah I mean who knows and I mean we can never know all four of us um me my two sisters brother we were all c-section because my brother was a c-section first and back in the day once you had one c-section yep, once you had yeah Yep. 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 Uh, all four of us have celiac (laughs) first generation. None of us got to swallow like the vaginal meconium. None of us got to have that process. Mm -hmm. If that's related, I don't know. Do I think that there's something to be said about that? I do. I do think there's something. And, um, we're yeah. supposed to pick up all that bacteria. It helps build up our flora. Same with breastfeeding. There's just, there's some things here. Do we have great backup plans? Absolutely we do. And your kids are going to be fine. They're going to be fine. But, but just as, a, as someone who's had kids too, it's easier. It's just easier when you're able to have them vaginally. It is. And so are we grateful for life-saving things like C-sections? Absolutely how they're being overused they're being misused and it's very frustrating because it's causing a lot of death yeah you recently on instagram were doing some research were you writing a paper for school about the c-section rates um it was about the mortality rates so i actually just wrote a a paper about hospital birth in the united states and what that looks like right now and and it's not it's not good are you able to share some of your results <laughs> of like um the the correlation between the c-section rate well so there's direct correlation between inductions and c-sections right so we're seeing that those two things definitely go hand in hand if you're induced you're much more likely to need a c-section 
We're also seeing a correlation between the C-section rates and the death rates. Because mm. you're much more likely to end up with one of these with sepsis and all these other issues after a C-section. So what I pulled my little audience, I came in at like 50% having been induced. Whoa. Why are we inducing 50% of the people that answered my survey on Instagram? That's crazy to me. That is way too high of an induction rate. Cause you have, once again, we know this, there's correlation here. So now we know that that directly has influenced the C-section rate and also the maternal, maternal mortality rate. And What's even more disturbing is we are seeing a, a racial disparity where people of color are far more likely to die in childbirth than those of European descent. And so and they, even, they even controlled for socioeconomic status. So a highly educated Black woman is more likely to die in childbirth than a, an impoverished white woman who has no formal education. Wow. Okay. I knew this about people of color. I didn't know that they had uh, done it for socioeconomical status as well. Wild. Yeah. So that points directly to just straight up racism. Yeah. This isn't like someone didn't have access to healthcare or someone wasn't well cared for during their pregnancy. They also went through and controlled for, because they keep, the medical field really likes to say, well, we're dealing with older women who have diabetes and, you know, X, Y, and Z, gestational diabetes and um, all these other high-risk problems and they don't eat healthy and blah, blah, blah. One of the studies they found went in and controlled for all of that. And the rates, the rate of maternal mortality increasing nowhere near matched the rate of disease. Wow. So have we seen an increase in age and also disease? Yes. Does that match the death rate? Not even kind of. Wild. So try to turn it back on like, this is women's fault. No, this isn't (laughs) racism. Yeah, it is. It's It's just gross. Like. Yeah. And so like what I'm inducing or concluding Mm-hmm. is that they're essentially inducing a lot of people of color. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, and then on top of it, they're not receiving the care. The same so, care. I mean, that's, that's because it's that it's, we're dealing with racism. Mm-hmm. So like, they're not receiving the same level of care, mm-hmm. um, especially postpartum. And they did just recently extend Medicaid coverage. And I'm curious to see what this will do. It used to be that the person delivering was cut off at six weeks postpartum. They would go in for that last six-week checkup, and then you're off Medicaid. They're now keeping them on for a year. I'm hoping that we see things change, but it's not just affecting low-income people. This is across the board that we're killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Should have taken a breath for that one. It's sad. It's really, really sad. sad. I do think it's important to educate people on these pieces. And I do try often to bring awareness to this fact of like, this is happening in America right now. Yeah. Here, here, Here. not some, like, it's weird to say like, it is safer to have a baby in Cuba, (laughs) in Costa Rica, in pick a country. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's pretty bad. We're the worst and probably the most expensive. We are 100% the most expensive and um, we fall below. So we have industrialized nations. We're the worst of those and even further down on the list. Down, down into the underdeveloped countries, that's where we lie. But we pay more than any other industrialized nation. Mm. Wild. Um, well, I really want to respect your time. I know you're really busy. I'm going to ask you one more quick question. Yes. Because this podcast is a lot about resiliency. So what do you feel like? Let me see what question I want to ask the most. <sighs> How has you coming full circle into your womanhood and like talking about orgasms and sex and blood and maternity care how has all of that actually bolstered your resiliency do you think for you mm, I've had to really let go of judgment from people because I, I definitely receive very mixed reviews about what I'm doing uh, especially like my mother-in-law told me she was ashamed of me Mm -hmm. uh just straight up my own parents don't really understand what I do for a living or why I'm doing this and so I I think I've had to let go of of judgment I I mean and I receive it from people about the most random things that I talk about it's it's been fascinating because it really speaks to their own trauma mm -hmm. you know whatever's bothering them about what I'm doing almost always has some sort of relation to maybe something that they've gone through in their own lives that has caused them a lot of like shame, mm -hmm. you know, or, or just judgment around that. So I think it's opened my eyes. It's brought me a lot of compassion towards people. Um, and it's really made me resilient against just endless judgment. <laughs> yeah. Just seeing people like that where they are is with as much compassion as we can. And yeah, you know, and the people that are, people are going to love what you do and honor what you do. Like, I'm so grateful for what you do and what you put out there. So thank you. Thank um, you. <clears throat> do you just want to give yourself a little plug? I know you do retreats. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You obviously have your Instagram page. You have your blog. How can people get a hold of you? Do you offer services if people want to work with you? Just how can people find you? So Instagram is definitely where I live. I'm at the vagina blog. There's also my website and I do have a podcast. It's the vagina blog podcast. So if you want to go have a listen, we, I have a lot of fun over there. It's a good time. Um, I They're good. have a couple classes that I'm going to be offering this summer and I'm hoping to maybe do some limited coaching. Mm. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Awesome. Do you have another retreat coming up? Um, I'm actually helping out with the female sexuality retreat next weekend. And then this fall in October, I'm helping out again with the sugar rush runaway that is going to be in Bear Lake, Utah. It is the house we got is like so incredible. So it's going to be a really good one. Fun. I might have to join for that one. <laughs> um, you probably should. <laughs> yeah. Super fun. Well, awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Okay, wasn't that just amazing? 
Like I said, not only do I laugh and have such a fun time whenever I'm with April, I just always learn something. I always learn so much more. So check her out. Check her blog out. Check out her podcast. Her Instagram page is really fun to follow. And again, she really taps on those pieces around body positivity, loving your body, living in sync with your cycle, getting in touch with your period, your blood, your orgasms. She's really, really open about all of these topics. So I really appreciate her for popping on the podcast today. I will put her links in the show notes so that you can find her easily. As always, if you have a story to share or would like to join me on my podcast, please reach out to me and let me know. I'm always looking for vulnerable, courageous people that are ready to share their story, knowing that when we share our story, it's a way that we can heal our relationship to the story itself. I also offer one-on-one work with me. You can connect with me on my Instagram page. I'll put the links below. In my Telegram group, it's a really great place where we share about things regarding the attachment style, womb work, birth imprints. What else do we talk about in there? (laughs) Um, Nervous system regulation, embodiment. And coming soon, I'll be offering a basic nervous system masterclass where, where I'll be digging into the neuroscience and the somatics of the nervous system. That's the number one thing I get asked about the most. And I thought, well, what a better way than just to offer a really inexpensive masterclass so that people can start to understand and better learn the nervous system. I believe that once you recognize your reactions and your stories aren't you, they're actually your nervous system, that there can be a change in the healing relationship. So offering this masterclass is a way to do that. Thanks so much for joining to me today and I'll see you next time.